Welcome to Across the Desk and our new series, The Future Looks Good. We're focusing on autism and employment and connecting you to resources that can help your future look good. You are the future. The future looks good. Good morning and welcome to Across the Desk. My name is Elizabeth Plouffe and I am the host of Across the Desk. And we're continuing with our The Future Looks Good podcast series. And that focuses on um, neurodiversity, employment and opportunities and all kinds of cool stuff. And I'm very happy today to welcome Jason Bean, who's sitting in his super cool library somewhere in the south of England or (laughs) somewhere. If you're watching the video, then you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> sorry. All good. Um, so Jason and I were introduced by Stephanie Holka from NGen. And then, so the pandemic always mucks up my timeline. So we met face-to-face at the Advanced Manufacturing Design Show in 2020? 21? People were wearing masks. Yep. Okay. What's that? It was 21. 21. Okay. So Jason and so now Jason and Spiro have begun to work together. And then that's why we're one of the reasons we're chatting today. Um, So Spiro Careers Canada is a company I founded in 2018. And we're currently delivering a program that connects neurodivergent individuals to jobs in advanced manufacturing and trades. And we educate employers and and all that kind of good stuff. And so that's one of the reasons that Jason and I are chatting today is, Jason is? Is, well, on the spectrum, licensed electrician. uh, Works in advanced manufacturing. uh, Works in an advanced manufacturing company. Kind of does everything. Kind of does all kinds of things. Just found out you have Micmac heritage, which is super cool. <laughs> so, so that's one of the cool things is that I think people really struggle to see autistic individuals in these roles because there's not a lot of attention paid to that. Um, and Jason's also a successful author, also does a, a digital series with Industry 4.0 Club also speaks around North America and I think soon to be more global, she says questioningly. Yeah, well, I've had requests to speak global. It's funding the getting over there is always the issue. Well, and we we talk a lot about fair pay for fair skills um, with neurodivergent individuals. So hang on until they offer to pay. <laughs> yeah, I always, get, I always get the feedback of, uh, well, we're giving you an opportunity to speak, so you should pay for it. No. And it's like, no, not going to happen. No, not going to happen. Um, so that's one of the cool things that Jason did is with the Industry 4.0 Club, you brought the topic of neurodiversity and advanced manufacturing or neurodiversity in general and ended up doing a great series. Yeah. And so what in- series. No, it turned out to be a five-part series just because of it ended up running over to the holidays and because of Christmas holidays, we decided to cut one episode. So 
It wasn't my episode, so I was really happy. It was not your episode. <laughs> and then your Industry 4.0 book, um, which, so here's the thing. Jason's really smart and knows a lot about digital transformation within advanced manufacturing. I am smart in other ways and not in digital transformation. So the book is extremely well done. I still struggle because it's such a well-written book for somebody who already has the knowledge and it's doing really well. Yeah, for my first self-published book, I'm up to 309 copies sold and not even, how long has it been out? Only a couple of months. Five months? I think. About five months it's been out? Yeah, and it's a niche topic as well, so that's... Yeah, it's, a, it's a very niche topic and not, you know, there's not that many people looking to, to read on it. So for a very niche topic at 309 copies sold in the first five months, I'll say that's successful. It is successful. And that's, so one of the reasons that, you know, I asked Jason if, if he would chat with me on a few episodes is that he's had a very unique journey getting to where he is now. And Jason and I just presented to the McMaster Manufacturing Research Institute. And that's, that was the first time I actually heard about part of your journey, which is what intrigued me. So, because you are what's, what's the terminology is a late diagnosis, um, adult diagnosis for autism. Yeah, at the age of 37 diagnosed. And like, what a pain in the tush, like to navigate life and not understand why you might be engaging with it differently or why it's impacting you differently or why jobs are a pain in the tush? Oh, it was, it really was uh, a pain, you know, constant employer turnover, um, you know, not having a large social circle because people would eventually cut themselves off because, you know, I'd meet people and they were going, oh, you're a nice person. And I'd always tell them, it's like going, well, I'm actually a little bit of a, <laughs> hole and they would go no but then all of a sudden my you know my propensity for you know being direct and blunt and honest yeah people then come up and go you really are and i really don't want to see you again oh right i haven't experienced that so either you've been holding back or you've gotten you've put a filter on i put a filter on <laughs> That's fair. The, the, the filter does eventually at times slip off. Yeah, but see, I appreciate directness and I appreciate bluntness because then I don't have to, I don't have to worry that there's a, an agenda or anything like that going on that I do much better with bluntness and directness than I do with vagaries. So I appreciate that about you. So that's, you know, two and a half years later, I think we're, we're okay. <laughs> But so I think the hardest part of the diagnosis was when I got it and I informed my family of it and yeah. their, their response was, oh, so we were never the problem. It was always you. Oh, right. And, you know, since then, you know, most of my family has not even talked to me. Right. So we're talking, you know, now it's been 12 years and, you know, been cut off from the family because they're like going well you were always the problem so 
you know, I'm not so I'm having a moment because that just goes against anything or everything that I would do as a parent or a family member. And it's much like when somebody comes out as gay, right? All of a sudden, oh, no, no, I can't deal with that. And my thought process would be, okay, well, now we know how to, like, now we know how to understand you better. Versus, you had a bit of a challenging, so we did. We have I, had, I had a really challenging upbringing. Right yeah. So you that. Know, it, it would not, it, 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 the response did not surprise me. Yeah. It was not the response I wanted, but it did not surprise me, you know. There's plenty of times where, you know, they just stopped taking me on family vacations because I would have meltdowns with the changes. Yeah. They would just leave me at home and they would take off on family vacations without me. Rather than trying to figure out what was going on. Rather than trying to figure out what was going on because, you know, I couldn't deal with the sensory changes and all that and would have, you know. We just got overwhelmed. Because I was overwhelmed, right? And yeah. they didn't, you know, and it was always my fault. So they just stopped taking me along you have since made up for that because jason's quite the extensive traveler so the good news is that that bad experience with his family not understanding and doing that i think sort of spurred you to well i'm going to travel anyway like i don't you've been to a lot of places like you just did greece I, you? well i haven't been to greece yet i wanted to go to greece i was planning to go to greece okay 2024 but that's been kind of Delayed. Delayed and put on the side. Gotcha. Um, was it travel still, it's still very difficult for me to deal with. You know, like the anxiety I get traveling is is quite high. You know, if I'm traveling into someplace, I I usually have I prefer to book, you know, a couple extra days yep. just so I can decompress so I can actually enjoy it. Get the lay of the land. Right. You know. Particularly air travel, like the airports, I find very difficult to deal with. Yeah, there's so much going on and getting through, you know, customs and security. You know, it really drives my anxiety up. You know, once once I'm through, I'm okay. That's so I try to get to the airport, you know, easily four to five hours before my flight because I need to go find a place when I get through to to decompress. And be able that's to good, but you're you're planning ahead for it, right? And that's. Yeah. That's the major thing is that, and we were talking about this before we hopped on, is that Jason's effort around self-awareness and understanding what he needs to be successful, whether it's travel, whether it's work, whether it's whatever, that's been quite extensive. Like even in the two years I've known you, you've dove, dove, dived, given? Yeah, I did like dove head first into studying of psychology and you know, what motivates people and how to deal with stuff, just all in the attempt to understand myself and to understand interaction between people. Right? Which so. is incredible, because that's a lot of people don't make that effort, right? Um, so if we go back to what made you decide to get into electrician? Um, so wasn't... At the time, it was kind of viewed as the only option I had, really. Okay. Uh, so it took me an extra year to get through high school. High school, um, because the teachers didn't understand what was going on with me, 
they didn't want to deal with problem problem kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back when I was in high school, that's when we still had the advanced general and basic levels as yep. they were um, put. And I originally enrolled in the advanced. The school moved me down to the general level, not of my own choice. They just automatically put me down in general. They did the same thing to my son, by the way. So um, took me an extra year to get through and get my um, diploma. But there was only one teacher that actually invested time in, into me, and that was the electrical shop teacher. Oh, cool. Right. So it was the only, so I had the grades to get into the college program in North Bay for robotics because I had the, you know, good electrical grades. My, my math scores were always beyond most people's. Uh, I can say that. So I was able to get, you know, it, based off of you know i didn't really know what i was interested in at the time i just you know i got into electrical because of that teacher because it was a safe place that i could go in between classes he'd let me get into the lab so that way you know i wasn't forced to socialize with other people if i didn't want to it was you know a safe place where i wouldn't get bullied because i had a got extensively physically abused by other students in school. Yep. Um, so it became, you know, kind of like my little safe haven. Uh, so that pushed me into robotics. And then, you know, I got my first job thanks to my uncle because he was an engineer at IBM at the time. And he, when I, when I graduated from college, got an extra year to do that because didn't know why I struggled meeting deadlines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I stayed there for a year and a half, and that was more thanks to my uncle constantly um, making sure that I wasn't let go. But then I was eventually let go, and I couldn't find another job. Like, I sucked at interviews. was terrible at them. Uh, Most people do. And I was researching, trying to figure out what I could do, and I found out about electrical and I saw that most electricians were actually making more than whatever I could make. Uh, looked for an apprenticeship, got an apprenticeship, was able to get into the electrical, the IBEW 353 in Toronto, uh, just due to, you know, previous education and, you know, scores within, uh, within relevant subjects. Took me a very long time to get that electrical license. Uh, well, three times writing the C of Q yep. um, because, again, I didn't know what accommodations I needed to successfully do that, so I kept failing that. Um, but that was kind of, you know, getting into the electrical was because I needed something to pay bills. I needed to survive because I, I refused to go on to welfare okay. or social service, right? Yep. It was because I knew I I knew I could do stuff. I just was didn't understand why I had the problem maintaining. And then being in the union, well, it became a good place to hide. Uh, anybody familiar with the electricians union knows it operates as a job shop. So you could lose your job, you go back, you put your name on the board, you pick up the next job. 
Mm-hmm. So I would constantly be let go. I I averaged three to four employers a year. Oh, that must have been hard. That I that I would go through. Uh, in downtime between employers, I would pick up additional courses from community colleges and stuff like that because I always thought, you know, it was my skills that they kept letting me go for. Uh, self-awareness came later. <laughs> self-awareness came later. Yeah, but your self-advocacy, I have to say, like the level of self-advocacy and resiliency you showed before even understanding why you were having challenges is massive because so like I do another podcast called The Autistic Rambler with Maddie Dever. And Maddie's very vocal about the fact that a lot of autistic individuals, not a lot, I shouldn't say that, some autistic individuals tend towards, you need to help me. You need to set me up. You need to fix this. You need to whatever. Um, and, and that can happen with neurotypicals as well. Don't get me wrong. But I, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, I would say twice as hard for an autistic individual to self-advocate and be as motivated as you were to make change happen. Because like you said earlier, change is hard. You were really a go-getter on this. Like that's impressive. Um, Well, I grew up being told I was stupid and wouldn't amount to much. You know, most of my teachers, most of my teachers told me I'd have a, I probably would not graduate high school and I probably couldn't hold down a minimum wage job and I would end up on, you know, welfare. Yeah. But I don't know. I just always, I I always knew I wasn't stupid. I I, I always knew they were, there was some sort of misunderstanding between what they were perceiving and what I could do. What you could achieve. And I'll admit it. I'm, I'm, I'm arrogant. (laughs) I'll, 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 I'll give into that. Uh, Confident. Okay. The more positive way to look at it. Uh, I would never, so truthfully, Jason, I would never ever say that you're arrogant. I'd say you're confident in what you know, and you are really, really good at learning, right? Which a lot of people struggle with and ongoing learning. Like to give you some perspective here, some of Jason's interests include ancient philosophy and um, Greek mythology and like really diverse subjects. I have a very high level understanding of, you know, Socrates and Pliny the Elder and all that kind of stuff. Jason can go next level and then he can quote and create examples out of Greek mythology. Like that's not a, that's not a stupid person, my friend. That's. I I, I knew I was, I was not stupid. It just took me longer to get stuff for it. Yeah. Uh, You know, and. I, I, I wish I had the memory to be able to recall everything I take in, but I don't. So a lot of times I have to go back and reread and reacquire, Refresh. Which, which I think leads to the depth of understanding because I go over the stuff multiple times yeah. and I want to use it. But I grew up hating the education system. I still hate the education system, but. Don't blame you. I realize, you know, I still have to continually learn regardless of whether I, the system is set up to actually function for people that 
do have differences in the way that they learn and process information. Do you think it was a little bit of na 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 na? Like you're telling you, like you you do have a stubborn streak in a good way. So, do you think part of that was I'm going to show you? Oh, 100. Uh, percent like, that's amazing. I, I've never been the uh, I've never liked people telling me what I'm capable of or not capable of yeah, or yeah. not capable of right. It was yeah. like, well, no, you don't, you don't know me, and I'm going to. If you want to get me to do something, one of the easiest ways is to tell me what not to do. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't used that tactic yet. <laughs> well, if I know you're using the tactic, I'll just ignore you, anyways. <laughs> That's fair. I don't use that tactic. I'm just. But if, I, but if I don't catch that, you know, if I think the person generally thinks I can't do something, I will go out of my way, and work out however hard I have to to prove that I'm capable of doing that. Which is an amazing story to inspire other individuals who may not have that drive or may have been beaten down. Like we went through this with my son. So I'm nodding and saying, aha, uh -huh, because every opportunity the school system had to shove my son in a box because that's where they were comfortable, right? So Thomas is autistic, dyslexic and ADHD. And it was always, oh, you know, oh no, he can't do that, or oh no, we're gonna we're gonna do it this way first. It, and it was always about minimizing his opportunities, and minimizing his capabilities. And I was that mom that was like, no, nah, f you, he can do this. You don't take anything away from him. You give him the opportunity to fail. If he fails, so be it. I don't care. To me, failure is awesome. Failure means you're trying. And Thomas had it drilled into him through the school that failure was something to be ashamed of, never in our house. And that really got in the way for a little bit when he did college the first time. And he was struggling with one of his subjects. And he hates to fail, which is fantastic, because then he doesn't do it again the same way. And I said, you got options with failure. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, you're in charge of how often you fail. The more you fail, that means the more chances you've taken, as long as you're not failing for the same reason every time. And then you can change how you feel about failure. You can either embrace it as an opportunity to continue to learn and thrive out of that, or you can see it as something to be avoided. I said, imagine living your whole life and never having failed. And his response was, oh, that'd be great. I'm like, no, lovey, that's not great. No, that'd be miserable. Right. I said, can you imagine, you know, dying in the same puddle you were born in? Like, you don't want that. So he's he's got your streak, I think, now. Like, mom, I can do it. I'm like, I know, love, off you go. Right? It's always been, I know, love, off you go. Or if he resists and I know he's capable, I'll be like, love, you need to find a way. Sorry, my family's British. We say love a lot. So, or I actually call him lovey. <laughs> but, but lovey, find a way. You can do this. And he'll make some crack. And I'll be like, look, you're not dumb. I've had you tested. <laughs> so <laughs> I, have the, I have the proof. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like when I got, got my testing in when I was 37, I now have the proof that I can go back to every one of those 
teachers and individuals in my life that said I wasn't smart and go, I've got the proof that proves that. I'm smart. I just learned differently. I just have a different way of processing information than you. No. Which is cool though, because you and I've had some neat conversations where you've explained why you use some of the things you've learned the way you do, right? I think you, what, um, what was it called? What's the, the term that you, um, oh my Lord, I'm having a moment. Of analogies? Thank you. It's early. <laughs> it's not really. It is morning. Did you have your coffee? I have not had, I don't drink coffee before 10 a.m. for a reason, but full disclosure, I haven't had a good night's sleep in five nights because I was at the Global Apprenticeship Summit, understanding what's happening with apprentices around the world. And you know, you've slept in a lot of hotel beds yep. and a lot of strange beds. And then I came back to two sick dogs. So my brain is still catching up. Anyway, Jason uses analogies a lot to explain his point or when he's writing or what have you. And tell me about that. Cause it was really interesting when you thought everybody did that. Yeah. Well, I thought analogies were commonplace, right? I, you know, I thought everybody used analogies when explaining stuff. And then there was a article written by another autistic individual in about analogies and I was reading through it and then through reading the article, I realized, you know, well, no, actually a lot of autistic individuals use analogies because it, it enables them to connect their level of understanding with something that they think most people understand. So it's a form of trying to communicate, you know, across their understanding. Cause most, most autistic individuals tend to get, as we know, you know, stuck on very specific interests and learn them quite in depth beyond what Greek mythology people. and philosophers. So they try to use those to explain other aspects of learning, right? Which I think is really smart. But it, it's I think analogies. I think analogies are a great form of teaching. I think so. I mean, it's what Socrates used. So if Socrates used it, then it can't be all bad, right? You know, so it's, uh, I've been told by people to stop writing using analogies. And I was like going, no, screw you. So you and I have had that chat. And I think what we came to the understanding on, and this is what I really appreciate about the way your brain thinks, right? So after being diagnosed, Jason's worked really hard on self-awareness and self-understanding around how he works best and where his skill sets can be put to good use. And we met and you love to write and you're a good writer. And Jason wrote his first blog post for Spiro, which is now up. Um, but we had to go through the process because Jason used a lot of analogies um i didn't think it was a lot but you didn't but but you were really gracious and when we went through the process and i said if we stick with your original because you picked a really good analogy to open the blog post with which was about the feedback process and socrates teaching and that immediate visual i was like that's perfect 
but then there was there was almost too many that ended up clouding the message and it's an important message that jason was sharing but you were really gracious about the process and when we went through it and you saw that we could link it to socrates all the way through you were really great about it yeah which is a surprise for me because usually i get very stubborn into i'm doing it my way and this is the way i am <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that you did not <laughs> tell me to stuff it up my jumper. <laughs> but it's a really good blog post. It's still all you. It's just easier for other folk. And we had a moment during that meeting because what Jason didn't realize is the majority of the world reads at a grade six reading level. And you got stuck on that for a bit because I don't think you understand the gift you have around wanting to learn and accumulating knowledge. And because it's somewhat easy for you now, you, like I have skill sets like that as well. I figure if it's easy for me, it's easy for everybody. Um, and I think you, you were mind blown when you had that little nugget dropped on you. Yeah, it's still, I find that still hard to believe that the average reading level is a grade six level which you know what makes it makes me appreciate the gift i have for reading i hope it makes you appreciate how smart you are and you, your interest in a variety of topics because that's now translated so out of being an electrician jason had some incidences on the shop floor that were very negative oh, just a few just... my personal favorite is the two by four up the head but you know Suffice to say, you ended up injured yep. and then had to move into something else. And you've you've created this really cool career. So if you can talk about that transition out of being an electrician and then how you sort of pivoted into what you're doing now. Uh, so, yeah, so I ended up out of work for roughly seven years from the injury. Mm -hmm. um, the injury resulted in me losing the use of my arms um had to go through surgery to get that fixed had to go through rehab to learn how to to, to relearn how to use my arms again mm -hmm. uh, i'm limited to a 15 pound lifting capacity um uh, can't do repetitive tasks uh, or i'll start lo start losing mobility in my arms and functionality in my my hands so because it was a workplace industry you know it ended up being a wsib funded claim uh, that's another story because that ended up having to go to appeals because WSIB originally didn't approve it so I spent a couple of years just living on you know a thousand dollars a month for a family of four oh crikey because Jason is married with two daughters by the way you know uh, but so part of that is a retraining so they had me you know apply to different schools and i got into the university of waterloo for uh management science engineering oh cool i didn't know that uh, uh which prob which i think led to a lot of my development of you know understanding business yep um but it was the uh chemistry professor that noticed that there was something different about the way that i that i learned Mm -hmm. Right, because she realized that in class, when information is given verbally, 
I'm usually was usually one of the first ones to answer and always answered right. But what I presented on paper in assignments and tests, she was like going, it's like it's two different people. Yeah. You know, we got you in class and then you in written, it's like they're not the same people. So she asked if I'd ever been assessed for a learning disability. And I was like going, well, I've never been assessed for one, but you know, when I was in grade school, my math skills were so high, but I couldn't read. Um, and they threw me into the special ed classes at the time and Sorry, took me out of math class. Right. So while everybody else was doing math from grade, you know, four to eight, I would be in special ed doing English and learning how to read and write. So I never had a math class from grade four to grade eight. How is that logical? Uh, because at grade four, I could do calculus. Okay, that's logical. <laughs> I still cannot even for the, I mean, I can read like a crazy person. So, so my math <laughs> skills were like in grade four were well beyond what could be done, right? Yeah. Grade nine, I was told to give up math as soon as humanly possible for my high school career. Because <laughs> that's not my thing. But so, so the university set me up to get a uh, an assessment done, and that was at the age of thirty-seven. So we went through through the assessment, and the psychologist, you know, came back and said, had had the diag, you know, had all the results in her hand, and we were talking it through, and she was like, going, "Well, you're definitely autistic." Uh, like, well, at that time would have been Asperger's syndrome. Yeah, we still but, use Asperger's in some cases. So yeah, uh, but it was just before the 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 diagnosis was going to change, and she knew it was going to change. She goes, so she she says it's going to be changing to like level one autism. She goes, but mm, Asperger's syndrome. Yep. That's uh, what my son has. She gave me an option. She says I can put the. Uh, autism down and you'll get accommodations based around that she says but you're also you know like ADHD and dyslexic she says but I'm going to give you the choice whether you want to put those down because the accommodations you're going to receive are going to be pretty similar either way um, not for the dyslexia though so that I would argue but, the ADHD and so ADHD and autism by the way have a lot of similar traits um, and it's not uncommon to find an autistic individual with multiple diagnoses, right? And it's it's just nature of the beast. And by the way, a lot of this is genetic. So somebody in Jason's family on some side has one or all of these traits. You happen to be like my son, the little genetic nightmare that gets all of that. Because I'm ADD, my husband's dyslexic. We're not sure where the autism came in. Although looking at my mother-in-law, that could be anything. Um, but that's intriguing because dyslexia gets different accommodations then. Um, well, because my dyslexia was on on how long it took me to read and understand the text. Yes, yeah, dyslexia is different. Difficulty uh, reading, yeah. And one of the accommodations she was putting down with the autism was extra time for for processing right yeah. Yeah. Um, so at that time my understanding of autism was you know the stereotypical understanding of autism unfortunately yeah right uh so i opted to only go with one diagnosis because i was like going great i'm 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 getting this 
tag of this deficiency that yeah. at that time is what I saw as being a deficiency and knew I would face, you know, pushback from people because of it. And I was like, going, I don't want to throw on any more, any more tags than I have to at this point. Right. You know, it's like, going, I made it to 37, you know, I think I can make it through the rest of the way without doing it. Right. A hat trick's uh, only good in hockey. <laughs> um, so after getting the diagnosis, uh, WSIB looked at the accommodations and they're going, well, we can't draw your engineering program out that long to fix for the accommodations because it would have taken a four year program and extended it out to about eight or nine. Oh, that's a bit high. Um, so they knocked me down to, they had me reapply at Conestoga College for a technologist program there. So because of my previous work experience, previous education experience, I got the first, I didn't have to do the first year of the program, mm -hmm. um, which left only the two years. And with the accommodations that was able to expand out to four. So. And so I ended up in like an electrical engineering technologist program at Conestoga. Um, but then I started trying to find resources to understand what autism was. And well, lo and behold, there are zero resources for adults. It's resources are for kids and for students. Yep. And that's why we do what we do. Um, so what I did is there'd be conferences going on and it's like, but you had to have a kid that was on the spectrum. So I would just write down that my kid was autistic so I could get into the, into learn. See, like your self-advocacy is off the scale. That's amazing. It's sad that you had to do that, but amazing. Yeah. Um, so how many years ago was that, that you had to do that work around? Um, I figured that one out probably when I was about 38, 39, you know, it was probably about a year after the diagnosis that, that cause I kept looking and couldn't find, like, didn't matter how much I looked, I couldn't find resources for adults. That's uh, about 10 years ago then? So about 10 years ago. So okay. I would register for conferences all over Ontario and I would say, Hey, no, I've got a kid that's autistic. A lot of adults are diagnosed. Luckily they never asked for proof. Ask. So where's the old Johnny? Um, but it's interesting because a lot of adults get diagnosed when their kids get diagnosed. And I wondered when we were taking Thomas through the testing, because he had, he's had three psychoeducational assessments and one full autism assessment. And at no point did any of those professionals look at me and go, got it. So I was like, okay, I, I don't know where his autism, I know there's a genetic component. So that's not unusual to see a parent at a conference. It's what is sad is that you had to do that to learn about yourself. Yeah. You know, and then, you is know, it easier now? Well, there's still resources for adults is still pretty much non-existent. Um, the accommodating is easier now. You know, it's through the conferences I found out like people like Temple Grandin. So, you know, I. She's awesome. I, you know learned spent a lot of time learning about her and reading the books and uh you know luckily for libraries i can take those books and return them 
Uh, because if I actually had as many books as I would prefer to read, I think I would spend my entire entire working budget on it. I, you know, you know, Paulette and I are huge. Paulette's my one of my business partners, um, huge readers. So I'm on your side for supporting that addiction because, you know, we've got virtual backgrounds on right now. But if Jason could see behind me and then to the right of me and to like, I have stacks of books all over the house. So. You know, it's not hookers and blow, so books are good to go. Like that's my philosophy. Yeah. Uh, if I if, if I had my choice, I would have floor to ceiling books, and right? most, most of my downtime would be spent reading. I'm on your side. I I love it. Um, you would read rather differently than I do, though. I yeah. think you're more into nonfiction. Um, no, I'm like into fiction. Like I, I, as a kid, I spent a lot of time reading fiction and high fantasy. <gasps> we should talk when we're done because Paulette and I read some good stuff. Sorry, right. segue. You know, if you start I, to I, I really, growing up, resonated with books where the protagonist was, you know, somebody that was... Different and scrappy, un, 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 undervalued and underestimated, and then different you know, and scrappy. Then, 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 then rose to be the hero, right? Yes. That's why I love the Flash. Now I'm not a fan of Ezra Miller right now because there's some weird shit going on, but that was one of the reasons I loved the Flash. Different and scrappy. I was like, I like you. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, we should talk after. We'll talk. Okay, so we have to got to focus on what you're doing now. Um, and this won't be the last time Jason and I chat because he's got such incredible stories and um, your level of success is very inspiring. And I pause because it's, it's fought for and earned fought for and earned different and scrappy. And, and we need more of that. We need neurodivergent individuals to understand that they have control that they can advocate step at a time. And it is a hard road. I'm here as an autism parent. And I have to tell you from the age of two, and my son's now 25, he is a trained welder. He has just signed his paperwork to be a millwright. But like Jason faced challenges around employment and people not understanding and, and coming up against weird barriers and he worked successfully for two years at Dollarama, even during the pandemic. And there was some pretty horrifying conditions in retail for employees. And my son, one of my proudest things with him was that he advocated for himself and took um, almost a week off because he was getting such abuse hurled at him and the stress and you know, the organization wasn't implementing all of the safety measures. And for a lot of autistic individuals, risk aversion is kind of big, like follow the rules, mitigate risk, because it's just the smart thing to do. And the organization wasn't. So that caused him and he's, he's not diagnosed with anxiety, but he definitely can get stressed out. And he came to us. And he said, I've asked for a week off. And I said, good for you. And he was a bit he thought I'd get mad. I'm like, you know what, Levy? Well done that you recognized that you're at your limit and you took the time because he was working his ass off, taking extra shifts, going in early, 
Yeah. I, I think that's something that like a lot of employers need to understand with particularly autistic employees is there's time when they're going to need to just disconnect and allow themselves to, to refocus. And the longer they go without that break, the worse it is. The, the, when they finally do get it, the longer that break is going to need to be. Yep. It just compiles and compounds on, on, on itself. And most autistic individuals I've met accomplish far more in a shorter period of time yep. than the neurotypical counterparts. Agreed. Can an autistic individual do eight hours a day? Yes, they can. Do they need to? So there's a number of them that don't need to. They can easily accomplish what they need within six hours because, especially with, with within their focus that they like, yeah. you know, because yeah. they'll just bear Hammer down on, on, on that task and and get it done. Yeah, uh, I think we That's really need to look at moving more towards result-driven hours versus you know just hours for the sake of doing hours. And we and we've tried to adopt that at Spiro, and I've told our team. My only thing is, if we have a ten o'clock meeting that everybody's agreed to, that's not flexible. Like yeah. you're there at ten o'clock unless something you know has happened. But other than that, I don't care throughout the day when or how. If you're doing your laundry at the same time that you're getting work done, or what, I don't care. And I know there are employers that lose their ever loving mind. I'm like, no. If I, because I do it. So why would I tell other people they can't do it? If I'm working from home, so we're in a tech incubator here in Burlington. Um, if I'm working from home, yeah, you can bet I'm doing laundry while I do emails and whatever else, because life doesn't stop because I'm on your clock. So we've made it really clear to the team that other than the meetings that we as a group have committed to being at, I don't care if you're working at two o'clock in the morning, that's not expected. But if that's your best time, because some people are night owls and, and their energy increases around 11 o'clock, I am dead to the world by like 945. <laughs> like, I'm not a night, night owly kind of gal. Yeah, I'm I'm not a night owl kind of person either. I'm, I'm an early morning. I get my best work done generally between the hours of six and 9 a.m. Which is awesome. So you've so recognized that focus is 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 the highest, and I'm capable of accomplishing the the most. Um, you know, I generally need, I, I I need a time to, let's say, decommission myself a little bit in the afternoon. Decompress, yeah. Um, so depending on how stressful or how much interaction I've had to do on the morning can depend on how much time I need to, um decompress in in the early afternoon mm -hmm. and then i usually get back into work work until about six or seven and then i need to decompress again you know i need i yeah. generally need about two decompressions a day and i'm really not good at taking those and so i really admire the fact that you do the other day i was so exhausted from you know sick dogs and traveling and whatever i took 10 minutes before a meeting and i was like god dang like why don't i do that on a regular basis because the rest of the day, and it was just 10 minutes. I went and lay down on the sofa. I probably had a dog on me somewhere. And 
set my timer and just shut my eyes for 10 minutes. And what a difference it made. Yep. You know, you I, can you can tell how overwhelmed I was by how I decompress. So if I'm not I'd say normal overwhelm, my decompress would be I could stay at home, I can go lie down, take a quick nap, or just read a book or listen to some music. Yeah. If I go for a walk, then you know it's higher. Yep. If I go for a walk and I go into the woods, <laughs> then then you know it was really high. I gotta uh, go hug a tree for a little while. Because there's I growing up in northern like like real northern Ontario, like you know, north of Timmins area and growing up near Falls, you know, there was woods all around and that's how you ground. Going into the woods became my my safe place. You know, it became that area where I could go, and I didn't have to worry about what other people thought of me. And there were times where I would just disappear into the woods for days on end. Okay, well, as a mother, that would have scared the crap out of me. But trees don't judge. Yeah. So right? you know, I could tell by how I de choose to decompress. I know how how overloaded I've, I've become but so. what i one thing that we've connected we're going to wrap up shortly and i'm so now you know we're going to do podcast part two because we need to get into what jason's doing now but i really listen when you tell us you're at a trip and you make time to talk to us and you mention that you know you're going to go and sit and read and connect or whatever i really admire that because so many people and I'm unfortunately one of them and, and go until it's too late and you get sick. And uh, I was sick a couple of weeks ago. In the last two years, I've probably been more sick than I've ever been in my life, which is very unusual for me and very aggravating. And I think part of that is I'm not advocating for myself the way you are. I don't take the time appropriately. And I said to my, it's funny that you mentioned about going for a walk because I said to myself this morning, I need to move more because then I get that excessive energy out and I can refocus and um, I don't feel as stressed out. Well, I usually go out and garden or, you know, I take a pickaxe to something or whatever, but I, that's maybe once a week. That's not enough. No, it's, I have to do it more often because one of the one of the diagnoses that was that came through my assessment that I rarely talk to people about is the actual PT, PTSD and depression. Yeah. Right. So I have to be very careful because I'm prone to depression, and I've been in depressions a number like some fairly serious depressions a number of times where I've actually gone and I've actually, you know planned out my suicide you know oh, crikey. so i've had to learn to recognize when i need because i don't ever want to get to that point again where i'm so down that i'm figuring out the way to end my life to end the problem because it's just too much to I, I'm not dismissing i think it's one very brave of you to share that and two i think more people need to recognize when it's gone too far 
and the fact that you have continued to build that self-awareness for how to get through that. I have heard recently, so I'm diagnosed with, with PTSD as well, um, but what I've recently heard it referred to as is PTSI, which is post-traumatic stress injury, because disorder implies that you have no choice and it's a lifelong thing, whereas injury um, allows you to embrace the fact that it will take time, but you can recover from what's happened. Uh, and I was diagnosed with that after my mom died because it was a, it was a, it was bad. Um, so I would offer that, that look at it as an injury because the amount mm -hmm. of work that you put into understanding your intrinsic motivators, understanding what makes you happy and, and what gives you purpose and all of those kinds of things is beyond crazy cool. PTSD isn't the rest of your life. Yeah. It's something that you've worked extremely hard to understand and manage. And that's, I wish more people had the dedication that you do. That's, that's, that gets to where you are now. I always think that the way I am, everybody's kind of like that, but then it always surprises me when people tell me, no, not everybody's like that. Nope. Doesn't matter how many times I hear it, I always, I always think there's nothing special about what I do that I always think everybody just does the same thing. So, you know, I think you've known me long enough to know I'm, I'm not a bullshitter. Um, I'm really, really terrible at giving compliments when people need them versus when I think they deserve them. <laughs> It's not, it's not a great thing. So I don't say things I don't mean. And if I didn't think that what you were doing was impressive, I just wouldn't say it. Yeah. So you'll onboard it in your own way. Yeah, it's, you know, I've, I think the thing that stops me from the depression is the fact that I've seen the results of what suicide does to a family personally. You got your daughters and your I've, wife. I've had a family member who's committed suicide and I've seen the impacts it had on the kids, on the spouse. Yep. And that has been always a thing that has pulled, pulled you back. Pulled me back. Now I've had to fight back out of that depression, but that's been that one thing that has always, you know, you know, I try to, whenever I start going into depression, I always try to think back to that instant in my early life when I had a family member that committed suicide. So you're back to your analogies and that connection to something that gives you deeper understanding of what you're processing. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's within the autism community, there is a high level of um, co-diagnoses of mental health related issues. So Jason's not unique in that capacity, but he is unique in his vulnerability to share that and, and his tools. We should probably do, like we're gonna be up to podcast number five by the time we're done with this chat today. <laughs> um, so we're, we're gonna wrap up here because that was amazing. And I would like to dedicate um, a podcast to your current situation because you've made so many opportunities happen for yourself. 
despite having a rough start and despite not understanding that you were autistic until you're 37 and then a learning difference at 38 and then all those layers of the onion, which I'm calling you Shrek. Um, well, the image fits. <laughs> you're a grumpy ogre. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a grumpy, ugly ogre. Not ugly. Don't ever say that again. Good God. No, that's not the case. Um, but that willingness to share and that willingness to advocate, it's so important, you know, and that's, that's why I really enjoy talking to you and finding individuals who have powered through because we need to hear more of those stories so that the individuals who are being told you'll never amount to anything, autistic is all you are, you know, there's limits to what you can do and all those other self-projecting bullshit things that professionals in air quotes say, I've heard the gamut applied to my son. I had somebody call me because he was in this class at high school and my son is, is close to six feet tall and he's, he's built like a carpenter's dream, right? So no belly, no butt, he's, he's six feet string bean and especially in high school. And he was getting out of a costume and his pants happened to fall down because one of his things up until recently was remembering to put on a damn belt. And I was like, dude, you have to, like you've got nothing holding your pants up. The school had the nerve to call me because he went in behind a screen to reach down into the costume to pull his pants back up. They accused my son of being inappropriate with himself in the class. Lost mud junk. Because I know my son well enough to know that's not something he would ever do. And he has a thorough grasp on social niceties and normalities. That's not something. I said, are you? Well, you know, because he's autistic, he might not understand. I said, don't you ever, ever say that about my son ever again. If you have taken the time to get to know him, instead of just seeing his diagnosis, then you would understand how ridiculous this conversation is we're having right now. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been expelled because there's at school because I didn't understand social norms and people would take advantage of that and tell me to do things and go, yeah, it's normal. And it's like, okay, so I'll go do it. Yep. And get expelled for it because guess what? It wasn't normal. <laughs> Well, it wasn't acceptable. I know, you know, normal might be the, but, but this one didn't even happen. Like I know it because when I told him he was horrified, mom, I would never. And you know, all parents know when their kid is spinning a yarn and when it's an authentic reaction mm -hmm. and he was authentically horrified. And I ripped that school a new bunghole. I'm like, don't constantly bash him over the head with his label. That's not all he is. And the only reason you know about it is because we needed accommodations. So for you to have persevered through all of that, because I'm sure we could dig deeper into the stuff you've gone through. Man, like it's phenomenal. And most of that I persevered through without the assistance of anybody. That's even doubly phenomenal. That's abnormal. There you go. That's your abnormal. The fact that you've gotten through it and are doing what you're doing now, despite all of that, 
that's the abnormal part. Well, that's like when I was getting the assessment done, the psychologist, you know, because when they do the assessment, they also dig into a lot of, you know, your personal past and stuff like that yeah. and stuff you dealt with. And when she told me I had the autism diagnosis, she goes, she says, I think the only reason you survived what you lived through was because of your diagnosis, because you were able to emotionally separate what was going on with what was and and look at it logically. I would say that. And I would also say, and you can agree or disagree, a little bit of unawareness of some of the subtler digs or subtler insults or more, more subtle, subtler. Um, and when she when she came out with the assessment, she was like going to shows most people who've gone through what you've gone through. Yeah, she said are on the street. They're addicted to drugs. They've been in and out of prison. She yep. says the fact that you got through it. You've gone on to educate yourself. You've gone on to hold careers. You've gone on to get married. You've gone on to have kids. Yep. She says is quite it is quite impressive. And she linked that to the autism and my being able to rationalize out the emotional and like I said, not picking, not picking up on certain social um, indicators that were, were there that allowed yeah. me to, you know, pull through. Oh, we're going to talk more, my friend. Like we're going to wrap up on that note because I, I think between our two last points, there's too much focus on the challenges and there's too much focus on the label versus the individual and what they can accomplish what i've been told is that my son is lucky that i don't take no for an answer but i did ask the school would he be where he is if i wasn't who i am and they said no he's he's more of a tender heart than you are mm -hmm. and i mean that that he just he doesn't have that built-in uh, ability to self-advocate and whatever he does now, but that's been through a lot of um, forcing him to. If you happen to be listening, we're going to wrap up and you are autistic and anything about this resonates with you, you're welcome to leave a comment. And then Jason's actually part of our coaching team. So he's going to be, he has his own business in addition to working full time um, and is very interested in mentoring autistic individuals and helping with developing self-advocacy skills and all kinds of other positive things that he's developed on his own. But you're going to hear more from him. Um, and I just thank you. Like, we went into this with no agenda intentionally. Um, and I'm grateful that you were willing to share what you did. Mm -hmm. Oh, trust me, there's more. That's like you said, it's an onion and we got to peel away the layers and we'll get there. Then we'll, we'll make a frittata <laughs> or fajitas. <laughs> we'll make them spicy. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We're going to wrap up for right now, but you will hear from Jason again and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. You get to say goodbye. Oh, I get to say goodbye. Well, well, thank you for having, <laughs> thank you for the conversation. And uh, I do look forward to the next one. Awesome. And uh, hopefully anybody listening has found something in it that they can grab onto and, you know, help motivate themselves through whatever they're dealing with. I have no doubt. 
and Jason, by, you know, by the way, Jason's going to write the blog post to accompany this. Um, so be prepared for whatever philosopher or Greek mythology or what have you that he relates the analogy to. Probably Odysseus or Hercules is what I'm thinking. But oh, maybe I'll go Shrek. <laughs> I love it. We will figure it out. Thanks. Well, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll have to I'll have to look at the podcasts and you're okay. I love what, what what's what's the best way to approach it. What's the angle? We'll figure it out. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Across the Desk podcast with our new series, The Future Looks Good. Please check out SpiroCareersCanada.ca to learn more about the resources available to people on the autism spectrum for employment success. Yeah.